All right. Hello, Seaweed Brain listeners. This week, we are back with another very special episode in which we are diving into the dark pages in the center of the sun and the star. That's right. It's Nico's solo Tartarus flashback. And we have a brand new guest. So stick around. All right. Introductions are in order. I'm Erica. I am the co-host of this podcast, joined by Carter. Hi, I'm Carter, also a co-host of this podcast. I feel like you need to, I, I feel like you should have another title. Like, are, are you not the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, executive producer manager, Executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> Carter's the brains and I'm the brawn. <laughs> <laughs> Although Carter also practices kendo now. So really we are equally the brains and the brawn. Wow. Aspirational. <laughs> How's your knee doing, by the way? Oh, my knee is almost back to full recovery. I'm ready <gasps> to spend 16 hours a day walking around together in a place where, where we will, will have no choice but to do that. <laughs> yes. T minus like one and a half weeks until Japan. We are joined today by a brand new guest. Um, introduce yourself, Thomas. Hey, I'm Thomas. I'm from um, Germany. I'm 18, so I represent Gen Z, I guess. Um, <laughs> yes! Just, just in the time frame, so great. Great to be here. Yeah, and you're like a long-time listener. Yes, I started listening in March last year because I went to Paris and I was looking for a podcast on my phone to hear so that I can do something on the three-hour ride. And then I found you because I thought, hmm, <laughs> I look if there is some great PJO podcast out there. And I found you. And just one month ago, I think, I was fully done with all the episodes from before and then... It was just always catching up the last episode. So, yeah. Nice. Yes, you made it through the back catalog. I forget that in Europe, the whole thing about Europe is that you can like get on a train and like go to another country. Is that fun? <laughs> it is fun because you can go three hour ride and you're in Paris, in the city of love. And it's, <laughs> it, it's beautiful. It's great. And it's just perfect. Oh my gosh, amazing. And did you recently finish um, gymnasium? That's what they call high school in Germany, right? No, I'm still oh. in it. Um, I have my Abitur, my A-levels next year. Oh my gosh, so you're not even a senior in high school yet? We call it both Oberstufe. So it's two steps, one and two. And both, all, the, all these four... Um, equals semesters are counted in the abitur so it's very important just now and next year too it's wow. a completely different thing of uh -huh. as the u.s education yeah and when you go to university paid for by the government of course well, <laughs> not every um, university is paid by this government but most of them cost like 1,000 to 1,500 euros per per year, per semester like that. But there are some um, universities like the one I want to go um, where you get paid to go there. 
So they want you to go there because they need <laughs> because they need the people. Um, so they will pay. Listeners, if you also just started crying a single tear, <laughs> um, we're right there with you. Both Carter and I, our, our mouths are agape. That's wonderful. <laughs> Do you think you'll be an English major? I am. Um, my three main courses are English, history, and German. Nice, nice. Currently, at the moment, I am making my Cambridge C1 certificate, and I have the exam for it in in July. So when all good is fine, I will go out there with C1 or even better C2. Very cool. And for our listeners, obviously not a visual medium, Thomas came dressed for the part today, um, wearing a, an orange Camp Half-Blood <laughs> t-shirt, uh, which really indicates, you know, your level of fanhood. So when did you first get into Percy Jackson? Um... I think it was like when I was 12 or 13 and I just wasn't ever um, a Harry Potter kid. Yes, I read the books, but <laughs> no, I didn't really like it. And then I I don't really know where it came from, but I think I just um, saw the book in my in my local library and thought, hmm, sounds interesting. I should read it. And then I came into an obsession and now I buy every book twice, one one time in English, so I can read it in advance because German because German does take a while around a year to fully um, translate it so I can read it one year after I read it in English, one year later in German again. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Wow. To be, to be bilingual. That's amazing. Would you like <laughs> to tell us how you first pronounced the name yes. of the activities director at Camp Applet? Yes. Um, so I am in Germany. So my pronunciation was Kiron. Whoa. Heck yeah. One more time for the folks at home. <laughs> Kiron, oder? Kiron is the right pronunciation in Germany. You could also say Chiron or Chiron. Um, there are three possible pronunciations for the CH. It's H or K. So it's very distinctive. Come on. See, there are multiple <laughs> right answers to questions depending on your personal lived experiences and your backgrounds is what we're learning today. Yes. Well, today, as, as forementioned, we're diving into the Nico flashback section. This is going to be fun. I felt as though during my reread that this book is really incorporates some of the greatest LGBTQ hits of the Riot and Verse. We're going to yes. we're going to see some some excellent characters returning. Yes, we have to talk about Nemesis and how gay she makes me feeling. Um, <laughs> she's a gay icon. We have to talk about that. <laughs> no, 100%. Absolutely. If you'll recall last week, Nico was about to recount the story to Will and the Trogs. Yes. Mm -hmm. To give us more information about who Mother may be. So this mm -hmm. is the section of Nico heading down to the underworld that leads up to him getting captured and put into the jar. So this timeline-wise takes place right before for the events of, what is it, Mark of Athena? Yes. Yes. And we have to note, he wasn't um, free. 
he was pushed down there by the chimera. Oh, yeah. He was going to the underworld to look for answers, but he wasn't intending to go to Tartarus, right? Yes. There's some stuff that I feel like is a little <laughs> embedded. At one point, he's thinking about who he's missing back up on land. Um, yes, and he thinks of Percy, Annabeth, and Jason. And I thought to myself, hello, you haven't even met Jason yet. Um, maybe you have in Camp Jupiter, but... I, I don't think they had a very close relationship there. So I can't really understand why he's in the chain of his mind. Like, I I personally think the more, more logical way would be um, Percy, Annabeth, and Bianca, his sister. Hazel. Or Hazel, his sister who's alive. alive and around. I read that and I was like, wait, is this not the Jason who classically said we do not need to go and get nico that boy is kind of creepy why would we go and get nico from the underworld exactly so why would he think of jason that did happen right i'm not imagining that carter that happened right oh where jason was like yeah like i don't know about that kid yeah on the other two he he's like it's a trap hazel gets upset um leo also is like i don't know i'm do we need to? But J- Jason is definitely the the leader of team leave Nico to rot and die. Because personally, I don't like him. <laughs> Nico is like, I'm thinking about all these people, but I'm not really so sure that they're thinking about me too. And they were not. And they were not, unfortunately. That's no, the they were not. They were absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we can run through kind of the plot mechanics. It really follows a similar journey to what Percy and Annabeth go through. I really appreciated how this section illustrated for us what it means for Nico to be here alone, specifically in the way that he has to make decisions for himself and he doesn't have somebody else to rely on. Like that's how we really are able to contrast the time Percy and Annabeth spend down there with Nico's experience because he is having to like wonder if he's hallucinating. Like he had to figure out if he could drink the phlegathon, et yes. cetera. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And he he thought he's going crazy by drinking out of the phlegathon, but he was not. And that for me makes him the, the strongest demigod ever because Percy and Annabeth went to Tartarus together and they barely survived. And Nico, he went to Tartarus alone and survived. It's true. And we know he survived with a little help from a figure who he meets down in the pit of Tartarus. Who is it? Our first recurring character. Let's talk about Nemesis. Mom of Ethan Nakamura. Yes. yes. Mother of that Ethan Nakamura. That is how she is first introduced and that is how we know her. I got a little confused reading this. I was trying to remember back to whether or not we've met Nemesis before. We met her in Mark of Athena. She has like a motorcycle with the like yes. weird with wheels, pac- right? With the Pac-Man wheels. With the Pac-Man wheels. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. According to the Riordan.fandom.com wiki, <laughs> we do meet her in the Mark of Athena. That was correct. It's um in the Narcissus sequence. She does the whole um, yes. fortune cookie thing. It's like Hazel and Jason. Hazel and uh, Leo. Oh, sorry, Hazel and Leo. Hazel and yes. Leo. Team Leo. Team Leo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all the ladies love Leo. Um, exactly. Yeah. All the ladies. Oh my. Yeah. This is actually that that exact moment because this is the whole Narcissus 
fan club thing. This was all all to ladies love Leo. That was when Nemesis did the whole fortune cookie thing and we were like, oh my God, Ethan Nakamura isn't Asian after all. Ethan Nakamura is full Asian. His mom <laughs> is also Asian, possibly yes. Chinese. <laughs> and that canon has only been confirmed based on the, uh, the art on Reed Riordan and also her description. Dark hair and dark eyes. Have we ever seen that before in the Riordan verse? Maybe never. <laughs> dark eyes. <laughs> you mean her eyes were stormy gray? Um, you mean her eyes were not um, an iridescent array of the different shades of the ocean as light passes through it in the afternoon sun? No, they were not. <laughs> they weren't glinting like gemstones from the underworld? Yes. Rick has a thing for eyes. We can Definitely. say that. This character interaction is very interesting, right? I was like confused. At first when Nico is bumbling around the like pustules of the monsters that are reforming, mm-hmm. he sees this like little house. And I, of course, my first thought, I don't know about you guys, was, oh, it's Donaldson. Yes, yeah. of course. You see a house in the middle of Tartarus and you tell me you're not thinking of Damason first then something is wrong with you. I can assure you that. (laughs) Shall I read a bit of her description? This is 152. About time you found me. The voice startled Nico so badly that he jumped and banged his head on the doorknob. Clutching the tender spot on the top of his skull, he squinted at the person who had materialized across the room. She didn't look like a monster, which concerned Nico, given that he'd fallen into Tartarus. Then again, monsters came in all shapes and sizes. Her jeans and leather boots were the same dark tone as her hair. A single gold chain looped across the front of her white blouse. Her red jacket glistened disturbingly like fresh blood. Behind her was nothing. The black wall had simply vanished, replaced by a dark void. She stared at Nico appraisingly. Well, aren't you going to ask me who I am? And then she goes on to talk all about balance. Uh, she did give birth to Zuko after all. <laughs> this is delightful for a number of reasons. First um, is that I think this is probably, to my memory, the only canon time we've seen Nico, um, how would you say, fangirl over a cisgender woman. And Wait, like, so we're not including the Grey Sisters <laughs> because they are not anything inside of a binary. Wow. I mean, yeah, I feel like sisters is a little bit of a loose term there. Um, so true, so true. Sisters being relational rather than a super like gender um, descriptive term. Right, but, like they're uh, sisters to each other and they're sisters to us, but they are not necessarily like sisters. Yes. Yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, <laughs> I feel very affirmed. I just this experience of Nico looking at Nemesis and... Being in literal awe. He's feeling godstruck. He's oh my God, feeling yeah. awe. And that makes her a gay icon. Yeah. Do you know Brooklyn Nine-Nine? She's like Rosa Diaz. <laughs> That's why I got confused in the section because I was like, oh, is she mother? Because he's like, oh, you're Ethan Nakamura's mother. And like, I'm obsessed with you, like mother, but not mother. What I find very interesting about this whole thing, we know her from from Athena as the goddess of revenge, just the goddess of revenge. And here in this thing on page 153, she says, my only true home is in the heart, the spirit, when balance is achieved, because we mostly forget that she's also the goddess of balance. And that's a power move. It's a power move. I believe she also says retribution a couple pages later. 
she she's a good figure for Nico to interact with again here. Yes. Because of that transition that he himself is also going through. Of course, we remember the fatal flaw of the children of Hades is holding grudges. That is fundamentally, you know, a oh my God, you're right. frame of mind. And here is Nemesis, someone who is an icon in sort of a, a you know, first approximation gut reaction to Nico. Like he, at any point in his life, even at his, you know, like angriest in the bowels of the labyrinth, fallout boy moments would have been like, yes, Nemesis. And now that he's meeting her, she doesn't talk about that at all. Like she, she's not interested in trying to help Nico find vengeance or to, you know, use violence or punishment to right scales. She is saying, you need to look within yourself. If you think I'm cool, the way to latch into that and to tap into that inspiration is to look internally and find balance within yourself. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it because I interpreted it, I think, in a more negative way, but I like that more. I think that makes more <laughs> sense. Because when she she like transitions into like appearing like Hades um, and Nico's like, huh, I wonder why she's in the guise of my father to talk about how disappointing I am. Interesting. And she says, your father tries, but even here in the place of final judgment, true fairness is so rarely achieved. The good suffer, the bad are rewarded. The God's great system is a creaky machine, a lopsided wheel. At times we must act individually. You must act to achieve a proper justice, just as you are doing now. And I was like, oh no, not the like individualism narrative that like it's up to us each on our own bootstraps to fix the systemic injustices we're surrounded by. That's not how that works. We need coalition and community building. But I like the idea more that what she intended by that was you need to write yourself before you can worry about writing anything else because that is absolutely true. That's right. Yes, that's when she she begins to say, like, I'm the goddess of retribution. We're here in this realm, you know, where everything is retribution. These monsters are regenerating. And it's weird because it's not that she is um, attacking him here, but we can't no. really quite tell in this moment if she's like a friend or a foe. She's just telling him that she can't help him there because all of the monsters want nothing but retribution so she's powerless here and she won't help Nico. He is on his own and yes, that's a problem for him and we will see how it goes and it does end terrible with a lot of trauma. (laughs) My question is like, she is particularly interested in helping him. Is that because she sees that he is struggling to find balance within himself or that he has the opportunity to like bring balance to the situation. I think it's both. Yeah. She alludes to um like Percy Jackson being an impetus for a renewed <gasps> oh look at God. demigods. It's like not the consequences of Percy Jackson's <laughs> actions yet again falling on the shoulders of Nico D'Angelo. No, but in this case it's it's I think it's like a positive externality where she's saying like I have to consider more fully that demigods can uh be forces for positive change mm. and can surprise me. And I, I don't know, my, my reading between the lines here is that she sees all of those things and is like, but I think, Nico, you are somebody who I am aesthetically uh, more uh, favorable to as mm-hmm. well. As, I, I do think that it, it's the same recording thing where, where people, where, where she is saying, like, I think this message that Percy has is interesting. But I think that you, Nico, are probably going to be the person who is going to do something. Nico, because this. you are also Asian, just like my son, Ethan Nakamura, and <laughs> yes. I. 
Yes. <laughs> you got this balance thing on lock, Nico. I believe in you. Okay, what I want to talk about, she gives him three glistening red seeds, pomegranate seeds, but I can recall that in the Mark of Athena, Percy had this dream of Nico in the bronze jar, and he had like five pomegranate seeds. So where the, was just did the about other <laughs> two come from? And I think it just is a fault. Oh yeah, because it's like one seed a day, right? Yes, yes, and the uh, timeline was always you have five days to save him. So three, oh. so three seats for five days. I don't really know. That's not possible. Wow, that's a good catch for real. I was more like, oh, this is the lampshade of the century. Like, forget everything that's been happening in the Gorgaira chapters. To be like Nemesis is the one that gave Nico the pomegranate seeds. That's pretty fun. <laughs> Anything else? Any other thoughts on Nemesis here? I think she occupies this really interesting space where she's like trying to help, but like can't really like, I mean, I classic Olympian. The seeds are help. books. Yeah. But it's the, yeah, I you only exactly what you need to just barely survive. What belongs to the sea will return to the sea. <laughs> exactly. It's that classic model of the, of the Olympian visit. Oh, my question, last question here is uh, Nemesis being like, I'm going to, you know, help you get out of this spot, help you, you know, make sure you follow the Phlegathon, et cetera, et cetera, find the doors of death. But um, one one day <laughs> you will need to deal the imbalance in, in your, your heart. heart. Yeah. Yeah. And my question was, what is that imbalance? Because if she said that to me, I'd be like, what the frick are you talking about? Like <laughs> the imbalance because I'm holding grudges, the imbalance because no one knows I'm gay yet? Like, what's the no. imbalance here? I think the imbalance are his traumas, which are later mm -hmm. resolved in Nico's Cocoa Puffs. Yes. Yeah. Well, also, because we're about to get into this more nemesis, uh, not nemesis, but Nyx is also going to start to be like, you need to choose, you need to choose, you have two sides of yourself, blah, blah, blah. So we'll talk about that too. Okay. Let's take a break here, and then we will jump back in right away. Okay. We are back. Nico is stumbling around the pustules, right? And we are now going to meet Nyx. He has a section where he like figures out he's going to drink the Phlegathon, etc. Um, he thinks about home. He has a realization <laughs> that Tartarus is alive and an organism. Yes. These um, are all, this is so fun because it's not like we are learning these things for the first time as readers, but we are witnessing Nico come to these conclusions on his own. Of course, these conclusions that Annabeth was there to help Percy make. <laughs> and importantly, what, what referential text does Nico draw on from his Italian childhood to guide him through Tartarus? Dante's Divine Comedy. That made me tackle. <laughs> yeah, there is literally, quote, being Italian, she'd insisted Nico learn at least some of Dante by heart. Mm-hmm. What? And it's a, a roundabout <laughs> because... Then later, there are Dante's Terza Rimas in... Um, in Trials of Apollo. Yeah, in Trials yeah. of Apollo in Tower of Nero. And, of course, oh, the other way around, Rick Riordan learned yes. Italian to read Dante's Divine Comedy in original language. And here, he has the opportunity to um, include it. And he does yeah. it. Yeah, 
It's so funny. I can only imagine Mark being like, Rick, what are these lines from Dante's Divine Comedy? It's so funny because it's like fangirling about um, one of the things he read. It's like us fangirling about Percy Jackson. Literally. I'm going to read a, a section from this blog post because it's kind of adorable. It says, it's just a cool story. Dante's hero is a fictional version of himself. Dante. During the worst midlife crisis ever, he finds himself wandering in a dark forest and doesn't know how he got there or how to go forward. In other words, he is questioning his life choices. He can see paradise just at the top of the next hill, but he can't get there because terrible beasties keep blocking his path. Then, when all hope is lost, he meets the ghost of his favorite author, the Roman poet Virgil, who wrote the Aenid. After a few moments of shameless fanboying, Dante asks if Virgil can help him out. Virgil says, yeah, about it. To get back to your life, you're going to need to go through hell. Literally. Then up to purgatory and into paradise. You have to see the entire afterlife. And keep good notes, because you'll have to write all this down for your peeps back home. And so the adventure begins. Can we perhaps think about, <laughs> in addition to the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, the divine comedy being some inspiration um, or an intertextual relation to this book? When Dante <laughs> is going through hell, it's the same as Nico going to, through Tartarus. Yeah. So it's the same. Yeah, to learn about how to return back to life. All right. Um, cool. So we're moving on. Um Nico is accomplishing all of these things by himself, which is really important. Again, very strong. This is where we find that line about wondering if Jason is missing him. Um, he's not. He's not, unfortunately. <laughs> and then finally, we encounter Mother. This is uh, the bottom of page 167. Mother was enormous, at least three times the size of an adult human. She was swathed in smoke and ash that swirled around her like she was the eye of a hurricane. Her dress was the deepest black Nico had ever seen, glittering with the twinkles of entire galaxies. Her face was an indistinct mass of darkness, but her eyes burned with the fury of twin supernovas. She sat on a Stygian iron throne at the center of a circle of black trees. Dark gravel paths wended between topiaries that looked like clouds of ink, every branch, leaf, and flower competing to be the darkest thing in the garden. And in the distance, at the edge of Nico's vision, rose some kind of onyx structure, perhaps a temple or a palace. The other figure stood before Mother's seat. He was tall but more human size, with a dark skin tone and shoulder-length black braids. He wore a sweeping black coat that shimmered in mesmerizing patterns, making Nico's eyes feel heavy. No one is disrespecting you, mother, he said, his tone guarded, but Gaia is not our master. So it is, of course, Nyx and Hypnos, bringing back every gay icon from the Reardon verse. <laughs> of course, of course. Why not in this book? Why not? They should all appear in this book. Spoiler, there's no Alex and Magnus, but that's okay. No, and there is no... Talia, there is no Reina, there is no Ah, oh, I can't. Oh my god, side note. Becky all but confirmed for us that Rick is working on, on a, a novel. On another novel. And I have to say, I hope it's the Hunters. I hope it's a solo story about the Hunters. But Rick said, on the other hand, that the Celtic Celtic stories are much far behind because um, he has so much other things to do. So I don't know. But what could be 
this um, whole series when it's not the Celtics. And that made me thinking. The Chalice of the Gods is um, a standalone novel of Percy Jackson, but um, we know he has to get three items and the Chalice of the God is only the first. So what are the other two? And maybe will they be another two novels about Percy Jackson and him getting these two other items? Maybe. Yes, these are all very serious questions that I also have because Becky confirmed Rick is working on a book that is not the Celtic mythology book um, that is supposedly we're going to hear more about at the Chalice of the Gods book tour, which is literally coming up in like two months in September. So we should be knowing soon. And if we flash it all the way back to uh, October of 2021 in Carter's apartment when we were watching the Daughter of the Deep book tour, and we really thought that the announcement was going to be a Hunter's book and not this book that we are currently holding in our hands. Um, I still think it's on the docket. Fingers crossed. That was a tangent, but everybody manifest the Hunter's novel, perhaps even <laughs> Hunter's series, please, because that also means we get more Reina. And Mortalia, our two best lesbian or asexual <laughs> icons. I don't really, I don't know. Power queen, slay. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So here we finally get to know um, the identity of mother is Nyx. Um, and Nyx we last ran into in the House of Hades when Percy and Annabeth had that very frightening run-in in the Mansion of Night. But Nyx was not the scariest figure we met in No, they Carter just, Rest. it was just like 10 minutes or something and they tricked her by, by being like these tourists in Tartarus with the plan that she isn't important and they went through the House of Night but they kept their eyes closed. And later on, in this chapter, we we know that um, we get the description of how the House of Night looks, and it looks terrifying. And that means, too, that Nico is very much stronger because he saw the inside of the House of Night and he kept his sanity. Yeah, more or less. I mean, this is the moment where um, I believe Percy and Annabeth were sort of thinking as they were walking through Tartarus in House of Hades, like, wow, if this is what we're seeing, we can't even imagine what Nico must have seen as a child of Hades. He must have had even less of a veil over his eyes. And this is where we do see, quote unquote, that veil like breaking um, and Nico seeing everything for what it truly is before he ends up in the jar. Poor thing. The interesting thing is, of course, that Oculus was definitely a lot scarier um, the last time we yeah. were in Tartarus. Nyx was more of like a comedic figure. And yeah. now, of course, we're, we're shifting her into this like primordial being that she is, um, equivalent to the power and terror of, of Gaia. Yes, what I can't really understand is we met Oculus in Tartarus with Percy and Annabeth, but we didn't met her with Nico. And that's weird because we got a throwback in one of the series where she's where she says you're already perfect and she dresses him in the smoke in the death smoke so i didn't see where that was in this part of the book and it had to be there but it wasn't oh yeah that's interesting i can't remember where that happens because she's like, you have so much suffering that you're already, you don't need to suffer anymore. It must have been somewhere in the, in the in journey. In a dream. Oh, in a dream? Yes. Mm. Well, I'm sure that there are other things that take place 
And given the nature of PTSD, I'm sure that this isn't everything uh, and perfectly remembered from his original trip through Tartarus. What were you going to say about Nyx, Carter? I, I feel like the the canonical description of Nyx in the House of Hades is consistent with what we have in the sense that th- there was a sense that she was a being who was different in quality and in fundamental character than the other beings. Like she was definitely compared to Tartarus in terms of the kind of scope. But as was pointed out, there was, I think, a tonal shift in the way that they were characterized that like Oculus as a more, I don't know, I guess like psychologically sophisticated antagonist would be more of a challenge for Percy and Annabeth specifically and who they are. And I think that also is, yeah, even though Nyx isn't a comedic figure here, her description is still one of like rigidity and kind of psychological simplicity in a way that I think sets up a plausible scenario in which she is not really going to be an imposing important threat for say like Percy and Annabeth as a team who are kind of more themselves like little tricksters as opposed to Nico who is I don't know like even though he is a, a being of the shadows and all of those things he's not actually flighty his his approach to a lot of these types of situations is not actually to try to um, surprise people or to exploit psychological weaknesses as much as it is to... Raise skeletons from the ground? Raise skeletons from the ground to have powers that other people don't understand and just use them. You know? Um, yeah. I, I think that it totally tracks that the idea of rigidity in the mind is something that would be a challenge for Nico and not a challenge for Percy and Annabeth. Yes. I love the idea that Percy and Annabeth went up against Oculus in particular because that was something that they needed to overcome versus for Nico, the idea of the darkness and the darkness inside of him is more what he's coming up against. I go like Oculus was also about darkness and like poison. I don't know. They're slightly different though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And now we have the thing, they meet each other, Mother, she is still called Mother, they don't call her Nyx, and she don't know who he is. You aren't a monster, she could softly, and you aren't a god. Yeah, I loved her whole, like, stroking his face and, like, (laughs) Ursula-ing up so hard throughout this chapter. She starts to elaborate more on this idea that we've begun to notice in this book about, like you said, Carter, rigidity. Nyx is is representing this idea that you have to be the thing that you were quote unquote like created to be or like whatever you've experienced has to be your experience. She says on 171, we are all born into our own natures. I, created from chaos, was given unto the night. It is what and who I am. Who are you, Nico D'Angelo? Later, she says, night is when all beings stumble and go astray, but it is also when you can face the dark truth. You must stop entertaining this notion that you can escape who you are. I will help you choose, Nico D'Angelo. I will make things so much simpler. Choose. It's really giving somebody who is projecting. (laughs) It really, when she's like, well, I came from the chaos, and so you have to be sad too you know which isn't that truly like a lot of the the villainy we come up against 
people projecting. It's giving uh, Miguel O'Hara. <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh. I saw a tweet that was like, why are we, is everyone calling Miguel O'Hara daddy when the whole point is that he isn't one? This <laughs> is like, you are a son of Hades. You have to be sad because all of Hades' children are sad. Yes. And it's a reminiscence of um, Hades later on in, um, I think it's Blood of Olympus, where they are in this church and he is yeah, he's, uh, he's saying, I want you to be happy. Um, yeah. I want you to be an exception. And she says you aren't happy because you are son of Hades. And Hades himself later says, I want you to be happy because clearly you are not. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so this figure of Nyx is such an interesting like villain to have in this book, which is an allegory for overcoming PTSD. Like the villain is this character who is saying, you come from the darkness. You've experienced these horrible things. You are always going to be the horrible things you've experienced and the darkness that you come from and you have no choice or you have no ability to escape that. So my question then, if we're like looking at it from that lens is like, when she's saying choose, what is she telling him to choose between? To live in the underworld or to live on the mainland or like- On the mainland? To choose forever <laughs> darkness or to choose like to never go visit Hades? I'm not sure what the choice is here. Because she doesn't give a choice. She just says choose. And yeah, she doesn't elaborate. Maybe um, it's like she says it and he has to come up with his own- thing what he thinks this meant he has to choose for himself what he wants to be yeah that's true it, it's not so much like a binary choice between two things you need to find who you are yeah you need to choose who you are yeah mm -hmm. i think what's interesting is that's like the same thing nemesis was saying but one of them is saying it from a perspective of i believe you have a lot of ability within you to find balance and the other one is coming at it saying I'm from the darkness. You have to be from the darkness. I suffer. You suffer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. I struggled with this passage a bit, partially because, yeah, I think that choose line is a little bit strange, but also because, like, tonally, I'm not really sure how to think about Nyx as a villain because she's so over the top and really kind of hammering you <laughs> over the head with this ideology, I guess. Like she, she out of all of the characters, I guess because she is a primordial force, is just, yes. she is a singular philosophical message that yes, is almost exactly. like cartoonishly silly. But I feel like in the end, I came around to it and it, it works for me in kind of the same way that, I guess the, the analogy that makes more sense to me is I'm in, imagining someone like, um, like White Diamond in Steven Universe, which is to say that I'm imagining Nyx having the voice of like Christine Ebersole. Do you know what I mean? Where um, this character is giving you like a version of Broadway that kind of doesn't exist anymore where she's over enunciating all of her words and there's like kind of a light vibrato even when she's speaking. Is she Patty Laponing it? Yes. Patty Lapone is also part of the voice cast of Steven Universe. Did you know this? No way. Um, <laughs> she gets that bad. Patty and Christine are two like sister divine beings that are maybe genocidal, maybe um, <gasps> really, really bad parent siblings. Oh. And their message is also about one of constants and determinism at birth. Uh, wh where am I going with this? I was just trying to say that I had a struggle trying to tonally place what's going on here with Nyx. Yeah. But I feel like 
Yeah, I guess Ursula also is not a bad analogy for what's going on, but Nyx doesn't seem to be having any fun with it. I feel like she's just suffering. I'm imagining yes. like, yeah, yeah. Like, like a tragic old Broadway star. Yes. <laughs> and, and this... Like the cat before she sings memories. Yes. <laughs> Very that. And yes. then in this whole speech of choose who you are, choose who does pop in our lovely twins. Otis and Ephialtes. Two LGBTQ icons once again <laughs> reappearing. Do you remember these people, Carter? Yes. Divine creatures of theater tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nico refers to them as the Tartarus versions of Pokemon trainers. That's, uh... <laughs> and how they come out. Excuse me, a voice called out. Is there any way we could bow that? demigod it's on page 173 and it's like so funny yeah i actually laughed out loud um the idea that this whole like because this is where we're getting back into like what we know actually happened within the plot and so it's just like oh that whole thing that whole interaction with nemesis that whole like experience with nix that was all a little side quest um and now we're just getting back into the jar i do like you said, Carter, I like the idea that the more primordial the being, the more like they just represent an ideology as a villain and they're not like necessarily a fully developed person, you know, like it's not Luke. And also in, by design, we only have one book here. This is like one book. Like we're not taking five books to like flesh out this villain over an entire series. She really is just like the representation of bigotry that we're going up against. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. So Nico, his filter burns away and he sees that the mansion of night is actually made up of a bunch of tiny bugs and feels like his sanity is slipping. And pretty much then he, uh, he gets into the jar, but not before Nick threatens him and says, I will make you choose your true nature. You won't be able to escape it. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah. Seems like a pretty useful memory to, uh, tell as an anecdote here at this moment so thank you nico for sharing that feels like useful information any other thoughts carter you look like you're ideating yeah um i yeah i, I think that to your earlier point this is really interesting as a work of retconning because um because we got rid of otis and effialties and i just think it's so interesting that between rick and mark they were like we need to have another figure to basically hold responsible for Nico's trauma of Tartarus and the jar and to package all of those things up into one and have that one being be clearly um, ideologically aligned with the story that we're trying to tell here. I, I think that it, it works for me. It, it, it is a pretty elegant way of yeah. <laughs> even taking even the jar thing and being like, actually that was also, that was also Nix's fault. And the emotional experience of going into the jar was actually like not just traumatizing because he was in the jar, but because he, I don't know, had just like seen the house of night and was yes. like deeply traumatized and thinking about his 
fundamental limitations and weaknesses. And that's kind of what he was being forced to ideate on yes. during that period of time. Yes. I think it's funny because I remember going into this book, everyone was like, oh my God, are we going to get a flashback about Nico being in the jar? When we saw the physical book, people being like, oh my God, those dark pages, like that's Nico in the jar. And we didn't even get to the jar. Like we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't even know how bad the jar was with Nico's poor little shattered mind thinking about how he failed them all. Mm-hmm. That's only the pre-jar content. I do think the jar would have been sickening. Tough to read. Tough as an experience. But it wouldn't have really fit. Um, he was in this death trance, so he didn't really um, notice anything. Um, he was just there eating one um, pomegranate seed at a day, ke- keeping himself alive. That's the only thing he noticed from the jar so um, yeah if we went into the jar from this moment it would be like a double flat like a double dream sequence where we would be in a dream like hallucination within the flashback and the pages would be like pitch black and the text would have to be like written in white and it's be random words scattered across (gasps) um in non-paragraph form yeah oh that would be sick mark would totally do that i feel like (laughs) definitely (laughs) it would be like pain suffer jason Percy. Annabeth. <laughs> My sister. Italy. <laughs> <laughs> we need a fact track in this. We should have asked, this is what we should have asked Alessia. Do we think that every Italian no. has memorized Dante? I think that Maria D'Angelo was tell you, a like, mother. Have we memorized Nathaniel Hawthorne, Langston Hughes? No. Absolutely, no. not even a little bit. That love is all there is, is all we know of love. The freight must be proportioned to the groove. <laughs> okay, Erica is an exception. I don't really know anything of Goethe or Schiller or, or some <laughs> other great people of Germany, so it's okay. You don't have to. And I think um, <laughs> she is just special. Yeah. She's just special. Yeah. Nico Grubridge. I'm realizing not everybody participated in the National uh, Poetry Foundation's Cursed Poetry Out Loud contest um, every single year of high school in which you were rewarded money not to write poems, but to simply read pre-published poems out loud. This is a very cursed event that I'm sure is still taking place. Mostly, though, you know, I aspire to be able to spout Emily Dickinson here and there. Yeah, those are very doable. My mom unprompted mailed me a Emily Dickinson like Dover Thrift collection mm-hmm. and I was like interesting that everybody thinks that I want this because that is like <laughs> this is like the fourth time in the last 2 years someone has gifted me an Emily Dickinson anthology. You talk about Emily Dickinson a lot mostly in the context no, of the show. Yeah, no, I did make my parents try to start the show. I guess it's possible to enjoy the show and to not enjoy poetry because I don't do I enjoy poetry? Mm. I don't. I don't. <laughs> ah! There are two kinds of English majors, the ones that enjoy poetry and the ones that could not be bothered. <laughs> anyway, any other thoughts on this this little nightmare section? Please, Nico, go to therapy with Dionysus. You need it. You experienced a big trauma. Just go and then you can girl boss away. Girl boss away. I feel like... Nico's ability to even be saying this stuff out loud and like telling the story to the Trogs and to Will is definitely a sign of the therapy he's been in with Dionysus. Yes, it's great that he can just now speak of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, 
now that we know who Mother is and that Mother might be out specifically to get Nico, we need to get our behinds down to Tartarus. Thomas, thank you for being here. It was very, very nice. And Aww. on a side note, I speak out um, His Majesty like this. His Majesty. <laughs> oh, come on. That was good. We need to start asking people how they pronounce His Majesty instead of Chiron. Yes. <laughs> I, I thought you said it like two podcasts ago that this will be your next go-to question oh, to, to ask every podcast. We'll commit to it. We'll commit forgot. to it now. And I reminded you because I listened to your podcast. <laughs> now you. you know it. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. Do you want to say anything about Persebeth before you go? It is the greatest love story ever told and second behind is um definitely for me um solangelo and third third place goes to fiero chase so i'm full <gasps> with rick riordan couple couples don't mind me just fangirling over riordan verse of madness <laughs> absolutely oh well thank you for being here it was a delight to have a, a brand new guest and next time we are going to be trudging through the underworld baby on our way to tartarus yes all right well we will see you guys then Bye, all. Bye. Bye.